Hello, my name is Matthew Pfeiffer. Welcome back to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. Today, I have on a very special guest. Her name is Lisa from Been There, Got Out. Her and her husband, Chris, are coaches who teach people and coach people who are going through post-discard abuse and legal abuse. I can't, will not wait for you guys to hear this conversation, to learn about how to deal with narcissists when you're going through divorce with them, how to move your life forward, and how to rebuild and restructure your life so then you can live a happy, healthy life despite all the things that you endured throughout the relationship. So with all that being said, let's get this show started. Hey Lisa, how are you? Welcome to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. Um, thank you, thank you so much for lending us your time and sharing your information and sharing your story with us. Uh, tell us where you're at and tell us a little bit about what you and your husband do. Okay, well, first of all, Matt, he's not my husband. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We say like partner, boyfriend, whatever the term is. Yeah, but we're not married, but we have been together for seven. That's my bad. I should not. I should no, not. That's, that's, 2022. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so, you know, we started Been There, Got Out, and we help people in high conflict relationships, divorce, um, custody battles, and co-parenting chaos get the chance of the best outcome in court and beyond. So that's our main focus. That's amazing. And uh, so you you guys, uh, I kind of consider you guys um, twin in terms of your business structure, twins of, of what I do, because uh, I do something very, very similar. And uh, tell me a little bit more about how you guys got started. And uh, most of the time I tell people that when we get into people who choose this type of role, you know, it's not by coincidence. You don't grow up saying, you know what, I'm going to be a divorce coach when I grow up. So tell us a little bit more about how you guys got into it. Okay. So, well, my background is as an English teacher and my master's is also in education with English as a second language. Um, and I'm also a professional writer. So um, we, let's see. Well, it started because I was in a relationship for 20 years mm -hmm. and um, when it was time to get divorced, I, first of all, I never thought we'd get divorced and I never thought that eight years later, I would still be in court trying to get him to adhere to the divorce agreement. And so um, a few years ago, uh, I thought, you know, I should put, I should start doing another book about this topic because it's so crazy. And, um, and Chris, we, we hadn't realized when we met that we had this in common because at the time, neither of us knew what a narcissist was. We didn't understand domestic abuse in detail. Now, I've since become a state certified domestic violence advocate. But um, we started putting this book idea together and we were told, you know, you really, your audience really needs more interaction. And so I had stopped teaching in the classroom when my first child was born and I decided, all right, I'm going to start rebuilding my classroom on social media. So we started on Instagram by putting posts out every day, like quotes and things like that. And we got, got a lot of interaction, but it really picked up about a year and a half ago when I decided to hone in on what my life had become and a term that I hadn't heard until recently before we started it, but I was dealing with what's called legal abuse. Mm -hmm. And um, so we decided to start the world's first and only that I know of legal abuse support group because I personally couldn't find anything out there uh, that... That was similar to, to my situation. I felt like I needed to talk to other people, and then it just exploded from there. And so we've um, 
just honed in on the whole legal aspect of getting through a divorce and what we call post-separation abuse with narcissists and other toxic people who operate very differently than normal people. And even though um, toxic, you know, this divorcing a narcissist tends to be only 5 to 10 percent of regular divorces, most lawyers are not familiar with, with uh, <laughs> the illogical nature of it. That's all that Chris and I deal with. So we are high conflict divorce coaches. Like I said, I'm a state certified domestic violence advocate. The past five years, I've been successfully representing myself in court on both the trial court and appellate court level. Um, my case is published in the Connecticut Law Journal and is being used as legal precedent for the state of Connecticut, which is, um, I, I'm very proud of that, especially as a pro se, because it's yeah. rare for something like that to happen. And I also was involved with advocacy with getting Jennifer's Law passed. Um, Connecticut was the third state in America to pass coercive control laws. And so that was, that was really exciting as well. That's amazing. You guys have done some great work, not only personally, but also professionally. And uh, you, there's so many different topics I want to get into. Definitely going to want to topic to touch legal abuse and definitely going to want to talk about uh, representing yourself per se. But before we get into that, I want to, I'm big on the origin stories. I, I love, I love superhero movies. I love hearing about the origin stories with superheroes and the origin stories even with villains and that sort of thing. And when we talk about your divorce, one of the things that we talked about before we went live is that you actually thought that there was a that there was a that there was a that this could have been done more amicably. And that's something that that a lot of people struggle with. I know a lot of people who I work with and I'm sure the same thing with you. And that's the first thing that that someone who's abusive and someone who's narcissistic will do is that they'll, they'll try to convince you that, oh, we, we don't need lawyers. We don't need this. We don't have to go to court. Let's just do everything amicably. We can just write this up ourselves. Let's sit at the dinner table. And before you know it, you know, a couple months down the road, sometimes even a year down the road, you, you're, you're in over your head and, and debt and they've wiped the bank accounts clean and that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, not only personally, but professionally, like what you've seen with this whole amicable and also kind of kind of a two part question. How would someone know the difference? Because where I see a lot of people having some difficulty is that they have a sister or a brother or a cousin that they were able to do it amicably. And, you know, we hear the great stories. We see the both of us are on Instagram. So we see the pictures where, you know, the the memes where, you know, we, we have the the kids in the middle and then we have um, the parents holding the kids hands and the step parents at the end and I always make it very clear I would love to see everyone like that but it's just not not realistic yeah okay that's like an awesome like three-tier question <laughs> <laughs> all right so the first thing about amicable so personally I thought it was going to be amicable because I didn't even think I was going to get a divorce. I mean, people looked at us as this really happy couple. We barely fought. I didn't know, like I said, what a narcissist was, and I certainly didn't know what a covert narcissist was. And that was basically it. So I found out. Um, and there, of course, are little red flags over those 20 years that my ex had basically been living a double life and had had all kinds of things going on that I wasn't aware of and felt entitled to it. And when I started discovering what was happening, um, you know, it was flooring to me and it took a couple of years for me to really 
plan my exit because I did have children with him and I had seen other divorces in our family who hadn't considered carefully what to do and you know my business was where we live and my kids were settled and I didn't want to just uproot everything so I took my time and planned it. So part of that plan included finding an attorney. Um, I asked a friend of mine who happened to work in the local courthouse who was an attorney who she'd recommend and so she recommended this one guy and during our consult which was about 45 minutes long maybe 20 minutes in he goes this is going to be one of the bad ones mm-hmm. and I was like why, why would you think I mean this isn't this he's a nice guy my ex is a nice guy he's just done some bad things and my lawyer said because of course this guy became my lawyer his name's Eric he just said no this is going to be like in Connecticut you have a year from filing to work it out otherwise there's a trial date set because there has to be an ending a lot of states don't have that deadline and he said you're going to go the full year and I had no idea I mean I thought oh my gosh a divorce is going to cost ten thousand dollars there's no way I can afford it cost a hundred thousand dollars just for that first year and um, and my partner Chris his took three years and cost three hundred thousand dollars we always say oh we knew then what we know now yeah. So part of um, so Chris and I also have a book coming out in 2023, and one of the chapters focuses on um, how to tell if it's not going to be amicable, if it's going to be high conflict. And so I went back to my attorney and asked, "How did you know? Like, how did you know mine was bad?" So I'll just reveal a couple things he said. One of them is if the person is an addict. So Matt, I know you've worked with with addicts and narcissists and often they have substance use problems. And so my lawyer explained how when someone had a problem with alcohol or drugs, they weren't in a reasonable state of mind to make clear-headed decisions for themselves and of course for their families. And so it made the process very, very difficult because they're not even, they can't even decide things in their own best interest. And so that tends to drag things out. Um, Another thing he said was any cases where there's domestic violence present and we know that when people hoover and um, try to get them back and like you said manipulate like let's figure it out ourselves you know I really love you let's let's keep trying that that drags the process out because also we know that it takes an average of seven to nine times for a person to really get out of a toxic relationship and uh, and 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 just real quick when we have domestic violent presence what people what a lot of people don't realize is that when there's abuse present, the the underlying factor of of abuse is control, and mm-hmm. so it, it's 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 pretty close to automatic. Right, right, and so um, so those are just a couple of the factors. And the other thing that um, that people that that's what what's different from like a normal divorce versus a, a divorce with a narcissist or someone with a personality disorder is normal divorce. Uh, four to six months, you know, everybody's angry, but then you start seeing how much it costs and you figure out, okay, we better like stop this and do what's best for the kids and, and move forward and go on with our lives. It's the opposite with a yeah. toxic relationship because with a, with a narcissist or a toxic person, they, they're, one of their biggest fears is abandonment. Mm-hmm. And so when a relationship ends, regardless of who caused it or who wanted the divorce. It doesn't even matter. It's an ending for that person. So instead of dealing with the idea that they are a failure as a husband or a wife, it, they, they can't, they can't, it's, it's too, it's like they'll die if they have to actually confront those feelings. So it, 
turns into rage, which mm -hmm. we know is called narcissistic rage, and it, it targets the, the person who's trying to proceed with the divorce or the separation, and, and they say, you know what, it, this is all your fault, and I'm the victim, and so I am going to do everything I can to destroy you. Right. So Chris and I often tell our, um, our clients and people in our legal abuse support group, you know, when the person, when you're out of the relationship, think about it, like when you've, you're together, they can get at you daily, they can emotionally abuse you, physically, all kinds of ways abuse you, but then they're limited. They only have money, yep. the kids, and the courts. So that's how they do it. And at the beginning of every legal abuse support group, I say your ex's goal is to wear you down and to bleed mm -hmm. you dry financially. And divorce is a tremendous money-making industry. Mm -hmm. And so this is how it's done. And the longer it goes on, I call it like the feeding frenzy with piranhas. Oh, we need a custody evaluator. Oh, we need psych evaluations. Oh, we need a GAL. We need an attorney for the child. And we need to do it again. And then all these motions are filed and frivolous litigation and false allegations. And so it goes on and on and on. So the people that we work with are dealing with years of trying to get divorced, trying to get separated, or they've gotten divorced and then the person keeps bringing them back to court and calling them an unfit parent and saying they need to be institutionalized or they're an addict and they're incapable. And that's the way they just continue to engage. And the court is a stage because for a narcissist or a toxic person, for them to be able to manipulate a judge or a lawyer, it, it gives them a sense of, even more of a sense of power, like, look how I fool these experts. And so that's why, like I said to you, Matt, right before we, we got on live, like, this is a very long game, and it yep. is exhausting, and it's very important for people to get the right support. And I'm not just talking about with therapists, certainly that's important, um, but you need, a, you know, for a lot of things, you need a lawyer. Some things you can do yourself, and we can talk about that later. But what Chris and I do as high-conflict divorce coaches is we know the reality of family court. We are connected with many attorneys and people involved with the court system. So we, we help people get through that and try to um, not make them as terrified yeah. as they are when they show up at our doorstep because it is really, really scary. It's one of the worst things that anybody can go through. I want to talk about the reasons why someone would need a divorce coach. Uh, you know, I think that that gets that gets very convoluted, you know, and people think that, you know, when you're on the outside looking in, they think that it's it's a bit much. But when they don't realize that when you're dealing with someone that's high conflict like this and they they are trying to not only manipulate the judge and manipulate the lawyers and, and sometimes they're even successful at manipulating your lawyer and then there's triangulation that's happening. Right. Uh, and then also on the side, they're saying and they're doing things like, you know, um, if you don't give me, you know, I'm going to I'm going to win full custody if you don't agree to this. And if you don't do that, then uh, and and you can it can feel very overwhelming. And I, I remember I was talking to a client uh, not too long ago about they they questioned whether or not their lawyer was starting to kind of team and side with the with uh, with the abusive person. In this situation, they actually weren't. I was like, your lawyer is actually being very, very thorough. And the reason why they're the reason why they're doing this is because uh, in asking you these questions that they they need to make sure that that they're able to present your your case appropriately. Now I've also had the other side where I was like, we might need to find you somebody else. Uh, I, you know I've had uh, people several lawyers over the course of the a couple of years that I've worked with um, that 
would say to my clients, um, just try to butter them up. Just try to work with them. Just try to, uh, you know them best. And, and then what they're doing is that they're trying to push all of their work onto you and trying to get you to, to work with someone that, has, that doesn't even have the capability to compromise with you. Have you guys seen that? And what do you guys, what do you guys advise in situations like that? Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things that I want to touch on with that. The last thing you said is you have to keep in mind um, how the, the nature of the relationship repeats itself in this new power dynamic. So think about it like a judge and lawyers often, they, they want to finish the case. They want this done. Everyone's overburdened, especially the court. So they want to get people to agree and they want to move on. Right. So. But when you're dealing with a toxic person that won't budge and a victim who is very, who is already giving, 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 and giving in, it's not um, unlikely for your own lawyer to push you to capitulate. So that's part of what Chris and I do is we, we talk about how everyone's going to pressure you to make an agreement, even your own attorney, because they want to be done with these cases a lot. Like I said, a lot of them are experienced with it. And it's really important that you completely understand what you are signing and what you are getting into because it's your life and your kids and your future. Nobody else cares. You right. are just a business transaction. Right. So just because you're being pushed doesn't mean, okay, I just want this done. I should just sign it. Cause we get a lot of people on our doorstep who have bad agreements. And I think I just published some content about that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is regarding um, again, that same thing about how behavior repeats itself. A lot of our clients complain that their lawyers don't get back to them mm -hmm. when they need it. And mm -hmm. the thing to remember, too, is that our people, including us, are often coming out of relationships where we've been giving this, this, given the silent treatment. Mm -hmm. So when a lawyer doesn't respond, we feel like the lawyer is ignoring us. So Chris and I step in and say, okay, maybe but probably not because that lawyer has a bunch of other cases. Right. People who are victims of course of control tend to be needier. Mm -hmm. So you had, you had started, I'm sorry, like took notes on your question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I want to make sure I touch on everything. So you, you started by asking like, what's the purpose of a divorce coach? I think a lot of people don't understand the type of divorce coaching we do because we do different type of divorce coaching. Yeah. What I've been told is that most divorce coaches help women in particular transition from a marriage to single life and post-divorce. We don't do that really. We focus on the legal part of it. We're not attorneys, but with my, our experience, with especially with all these times in family court and everything else, we really work with people on saving time, money, and energy yeah. with their lawyers. So one thing that we often help people with is what's called taking strategic oversight of their case. We say you have to, you know, often you come to us, you're like a puddle. We got to get you together and you got to run your case like a business because like right. I said, nobody cares as much as you do and nobody knows your ex as well as you do. And so there are things that you need to understand that you might be able to use as leverage in terms of negotiation and mediation and possibly avoiding court altogether if possible. Um, the other thing we work on is what's called targeted documentation. So often people, when they have an attorney, that's the first person to hear their story. And so they rely on that attorney for emotional support. We know from our attorney friends that lawyers are not trained for that. Occasionally you'll have a really good attorney, but attorneys are not, are not, they don't learn how to, um, 
take care of their clients emotionally, and they are super expensive compared to these other resources out there. So one thing that we also help is, is figuring out what, what matters in terms of what the motion is and what the issue is. So instead of like every time the person does something, you say, oh, I'm going to send it to my attorney, and then that person's going to look at it, and it's going to add to my big story that I'm going to tell the judge. Like that, that's not going to happen. You're just going to be spending lots of money, and they probably won't even read it, and... So targeted documentation is a big thing we work on. Another thing is presentation, so how to present in court, because again, our people are an emotional mess. Yep. Emotional does not work well in court. Again, your business transaction, you gotta behave as such. Um, we do have, like I said, clients who have attorneys, but some of our clients are also pro se. And from one of our attorney friends in Canada, uh, David Morneau, he said one way he always knew that he'd win a case against a pro se was was he knew he could always get under their skin because it was yeah. their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we train our clients of how not to be so emotional and how to prepare their case. And then the other thing we work with them is probably a lot of what you do, which is strategic communication. So here my writing and teaching background comes in where everything that you're communicating is with the, the idea that it's going to turn into an exhibit. So how do we start establishing patterns of behavior? How do we start turning hearsay into evidence and building your case? Because you're going to be doing this, depending on how old your kids are, probably at least until they're 18, unless you get super lucky. And we have to just plan for it. You know, it's not like it has to control your life, but these are the things that you need to make sure you have because you could be yanked back to court any second and you want to be ready. Yeah. No, that's what can we do? We don't we don't do the other stuff as much. Yeah, when, and when I, I do a little, I, I do I, I definitely do both. But one of the things I tell people when we are doing um, more divorce co coaching and they are actually in the court system, I think you summed it up um, very nicely, is that you're not just going through a divorce; you're also healing too, and right. that's the reason why you ha you need a divorce coach and the reason why you need that support because it's confusing. Everything that you mentioned when you are, you know, when you're in the middle of it and you do have all these raw emotions, these suppressed emotions, when you're used to just giving, giving over uh, power and control to other people and outsourcing your decision-making to other people for, uh, in your situation, your personal situation, 20 years and some people 20, 25 years, uh, you know, 10 years, whatever the case is, and you're just so accustomed to that, that's the reason why you need that support because what, what I tell people all the time is that when you do the, when you get divorced, you need to do it right the first time. Right. And because like you, you, you mentioned that when we were, uh, when we were in the beginning of the, uh, the pre-show, that, that that first initial like documentation is so important because everything even any modifications after that, you know, are all revolving around those those initial those, those initial stages. And, and right, the foundation we mm -hmm. call it the foundation of the case. You need a solid foundation of your case, and that's why it's important. We talked about whether people need an attorney. We always tell people you need an attorney if you're in the beginnings, like going through a divorce, because right. you don't know what you're doing. No. And once you have your orders, once you have that basis when you have to return to court, then pro se might be an option. My lawyer told me the, the year that it took to get that divorce, he's like, you're going to be back in court. Your ex is not going to comply. Start building your case now. And he taught me what to do. And I did it. And at first it was like, why should I? Why should I do it that way? But I followed his advice. I did really well. And he kept saying, 
you're not going to be able to afford me. Mm-hmm. So do what you can by yourself. And if you need help, then reach out and I'll find a paralegal for you. Yeah. I'm expensive. He's like $700 an hour. Right. So, um, but I managed to do that and I have used other resources along the way, but I've been told I've saved at least a million dollars in legal fees wow. in the past few wow. years, probably more because all of that, you know, it's not just court time, it's the mm-hmm. preparation. Yeah. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit more about pro se people who are representing themselves. Uh, how were you able to do it successfully? Obviously you, you had that foundation. So you started out with a lawyer. sounds like you got through those initial stages, but once you did, once you were able to do things pro se and, and maybe some things that you see that's very common with the, with the people that you work with, what is, what does pro se look like for them? Okay. So we often, um, you know, we, I feel like all of our clients are really capable and super smart, but they're just a mess usually when they come to us because of what they've been dealing with. And so we often learn what their natural talents are and figure out how that would work for them. I almost said in the classroom, but it's in the courtroom. For yep. me, being an educator, like I'm, I was a really shy child, but I became very comfortable with public speaking. So I'm used to, I'm, I'm not, I mean, court is very nerve wracking, but once I get up and start speaking, it's, it made me do really well. Um, also being a writer and being really organized and doing lesson planning, like it's, it's easy for me to um, be very articulate with what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And also having that background in persuasion, persuasive writing, persuasive speaking. So I felt like I had like a natural aptitude for being successful as a pro se. Um, mm-hmm. My father and uncle are both patent attorneys. They're in their 80s now. So they don't know anything. They don't litigate. They know nothing about family law. But some of the legal stuff, like when I'd be like really emotional and, and doing motion stuff, my, so I'd have my dad check it. My dad has been like my like my hero and my savior. I could have never been pro se without being able to call my dad and sort of vent to him. Um, He also helped like, because these cases have gone on for so long, there are thousands and thousands of pages of documentation. So he has helped me decide like what matters for this particular motion, you know, even though again, that's, this is not his field. But having that that calm voice of like the judge isn't going to care because even though I am like I'm so trained and experienced, I still need support. Like when I'm dealing with my case, which is constantly still, um, I rely on Chris for support and my dad for support. Those are my two main support systems going through the process also at courthouses, there tend to be sometimes free resources. So Mm -hmm. one of them is like, like they'll have a pro se help desk. Sometimes lawyers donate like 20 minutes of their time where you can ask one single question and talking to one of those free attorneys once, like that's how I got the idea when I went back, I was going to go back for an educational support order. And the lawyer said, wait a second, let me like, tell me some basic things. She said, you know what, you've got a fraud case. So when you go back, do this other thing with a modification. And I was like, wow. So it ended up being like three huge motions, but I, I won, like I, I did it and mm-hmm. it was amazing. And I, I never would have um, expected something like that. And if I hadn't talked to that one free lawyer, that never would have happened. And that was like a lot of money that, that I'm still waiting yeah. to get partially paid. But so, and another thing with pro se is like, once you have some victories, um, you, you get such confidence mm-hmm. because you think like, I could never do something like this. And then you mm-hmm. do it and you, you win and it's like, wow, 
well, I mean, family court, nobody ever wins, but you actually get a judge to pay attention. And right. that's one of the things that we are so proud of. Chris and I with Been There, Got Out, we are so, so proud of many of our clients who are pro se and like they go in and kick butt. It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Like I feel like it's, it, this is such a rewarding career because you see, um, and I just got this hashtag idea from, from a friend of mine. We turn people from a puddle into a ninja yeah. and it's, they get their strength back and then they're able to calmly organize their stuff and go in and convince the judge, you know, why their case has merit. It's just, it's really incredible. And in our legal abuse support group, our clients will often come and speak to the group, you know, and explain what they did and how they did it. And so our, what we call our babies or people who haven't gone through that process, take notes. And also people with lawyers will say, this is, this is how I um, worked with my lawyer and how I did take strategic oversight. And I was thinking this strategy might work. Of course, you know, you're working together and it is your lawyer's final say, right. but you know, the, the lawyer listened and they figured out things that they, they hadn't thought of. And I'm so glad like the lawyer actually appreciated my input. So yeah. it really, it's, it's a way being pro se and participating actively in the process I feel is a way to really start getting your confidence back, which yeah. so many of us lose in these relationships. One of the things I talked to, um, uh, I, I don't deal with a lot of pro se uh, for various reasons, but clients who I do have that have gone pro se, one of the things that I do tell them is that even though you may be presenting on your own in court, Make sure that you have a support system outside of it. Make sure that you're still, and you mentioned uh, your your support group. I highly, highly, for those of you who are listening and, and watching who might be doing this pro se, it's important for you to talk to other people and for you to get into a support group and to talk to other people in support groups. The reason why is that you're able to learn so much from other people's situations. And what happens, and for those of those of you who don't know my background, everything I started started out in support groups, even when I, when I was doing traditional therapy. And you learn, it's like drinking water from a fire hose because you start to get all this information from other people. And, but the thing is that you don't have an emotional attachment to their story. So when you hear them speaking, when you hear them talking about their situation, it makes more sense. And then you start to, you're able to, to begin to apply things that, certain wins that they've had, certain ways that they may have presented, certain, certain document ways that they may have been, been able to document, you're able to take that and you're able to apply it to the things that you're doing and, and help further, further that along. The other thing I tell people who are going, going pro se is that you can still get consultations. You can still go to, go, you know, uh, you may have to pay for a consultation, but you can still get consultations from, from lawyers and you're, you're still able to kind of uh, make sure that, that everything is, is uh, kosher and you're presenting, you know, good evidence and that sort of thing. But, uh, but, the, but there, there is a right and there is a wrong way to, to do pro se. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you said with uh, learning from support groups, I feel like, well, in our group, we do a lot with strategy and our clients share their information, like I said, and things come up, which, you know, we wouldn't, I think I wouldn't have thought of talking about, but things like surveillance and background checks. And we always say that our content is driven by our clients. So that when I do different interviews, like with you and, and different experts, it's because our clients are like, I want to know more about this. And then they get the benefit of hearing an expert, not just me, because I'm, I'm not an expert on everything, obviously, but experts talk about how to handle things. And I feel like having that education 
really empowers people. Yeah. And the other thing with being in the support group is when you hear stories of people who are in the group with you going to court and coming back and being like, I can't believe it, like the judge actually listened and this, this happened, their success, it becomes your success because Absolutely. you feel hopeful and you feel yeah. like, wow, this is, this is my situation, like maybe I can, can get somewhere. And people need hope in these situations because like we touched on a little before we came on live, there's a lot of culture of victimology mm -hmm. surrounding family Absolutely. court. There's a lot of um, fear articles being published. Uh, the worst things, you know, I mean, the news in general, often that's what gets the eyes on it is, is mm -hmm. terror stories. So, um, but there's a lot more successes than people think. And then I just want to say one more thing about um, the other support besides a group is we often encourage our clients who are pro se to hire attorneys on a limited scope to do the legal part of it. So we have pro se clients, like one of our clients recently hired a lawyer to do the motions to make sure that procedure was properly followed because everything with court has, you have to follow proper procedure. And so that way that client was able to go in and present so we could work with him on putting his opening statement together um, and, you know, get making sure he, he uh, presented properly to the judge, but he knew that the other stuff was taken care of. So he saved a lot of money because that divorce went on for three years and then there was success uh, just a few weeks ago with that. One of the things that's, that's very unique to your coaching practice and also to, to mine, we talked about this pre-show, was the fact that we work with so many men. And I think that that there's there's such a perception about men in, in divorce court. There's also a perception uh, and a stereotype about all men are narcissists, all men are problematic, men aren't involved with their children and that sort of thing. And uh, about half of the people I work with are men, pretty close to half. Um, and they are dealing with just as much legal abuse and just as much narcissistic abuse and covert narcissism as anybody else. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because, because uh, you know, I think that that you know, it's it's so common for men to be underrepresented. Um, and what have you seen when when they've when they represent themselves pro se or whenever they've gone to trial, whenever they've had to be the ones that have presented these type of cases? Yeah, well, I know, you know, a lot of people one on certain platforms that we both know um, put out content that say, like, believe all women as if women never lie. And there's also loads of content out there about narcissistic mothers. So where do you think those narcissistic mothers came from? Those are the ones lying in court. Those are the ones that are ruining it for other women. Um, men are definitely victims too. There's biases against both. Men often come to us and say, things like their their wives or their female partners have threatened that nobody's going to believe them. Mm -hmm. Men tend to be physically bigger. Um, there's the assumption that, you know, in the past too, like most kids were, were placed with the mom. We have a number of male, male clients who have called up and said, you know, I'm the one that puts the kids, I've taken the kids to all the doctor's appointments. You'd never think that that's true, but mm -hmm. they're out there and they're scared of leaving because they feel like their role as a father is going to be ruined. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's a lot of criticism about the father's rights movements. And certainly I don't like any like militant, like playing the victims, but you have to think like these things started because of injustice, yeah. you know, like people, things happened that were really unfair and that's what's making everyone so angry, yeah. you know, but we always say abuse is not a gender issue. It's a human issue. 
-hmm. And again, we have to keep in mind those different biases. Um, my partner has been targeted uh, by certain, uh, a certain platform that, um, you know, favors women is all I'll say. And a lot of men also have been attacked. We have male clients whose exes are part of that platform uh, who also have come after them. And we also have females who have been attacked by um, the same types of groups as those. So it's, it's very discouraging and it's sad. And like Matt, you and I said, people um, seem to be spreading misinformation. That's the content they're drawn to. Just like the misinformation that you're going to lose in family court no matter what. That's not true either. Right. You know? Like I said, we're, we're very proud and we, I don't think we'd have such a thriving business if our clients weren't doing well. Not everybody can do well immediately. We said right. it is a long game and you have to keep going back. And like I told you before, it's not that our clients lose, it's that they stop too soon. So, right. um, but you know, it's, it's, it's very hard, but it's not as bad as you would think it is based on what you see on social media. Absolutely. And, and uh, talk to me a little bit more about legal abuse. Legal. Uh, that's something that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we describe it. I think that a lot of people describe it all over social media, but people, I don't know if people really actually have a well-defined, and a lot of times people don't even really even realize that that is, uh, that's a form of abuse and that's something that, that can happen once you start the divorce process. Right. Okay. So legal abuse, there's a lot of names for it. It's also called litigation abuse paper abuse because there's so much paper being filed, frivolous litigation, vexatious litigation, um, judicial terrorism, and stalking through the courts. Yeah. And so legal abuse, it, there, it's basically what I said before about how uh, an abuser is limited and once they leave the relationship, so they'll use the court. So people who engage in litigation abuse sometimes will file a ton of different motions against a victim and the victim is forced to return to court. So for example, with me having 90 whatever court appearances, I am constantly having to take time off work and that affects my, my income um, and my time and my parenting and my energy because I'm always dealing with court. Mm -hmm. So that's one type of um, legal abuse. Another is where um, it, somebody is, so, so that's when somebody has to respond to constant litigation. Yeah. The other is where, like my situation too, where somebody refuses to comply with court orders. And so I have to keep going to court to mm -hmm. file motions. The person is in contempt multiple times and the courts delay and take their time and don't Absolutely. enforce. And so I have to keep chasing and chasing and chasing and then judges change. And, and you know, people who have attorneys are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get lawyers to help them deal with these cases that, that go on for years. Uh, other things are always threatening the person. If you don't do what I want, I'm going to mm -hmm. take you back to court. They're going to believe me. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to take the kids away from you. It's just, it's just another way to control, but again, using the courts as the way to do it. The constant threats, it's like a, I feel like it's just like the judicial terrorism. It's like you have a terrorist that's constantly you have to see in court all the time. Going to court itself is very traumatic. Yep. A lot of people um, feel like they almost should have stayed in the relationship mm -hmm. because they felt like they could have at least been a buffer mm -hmm. uh, to their child. But yep. in some ways, that's really bad, too. And Chris and I have a bunch of content on that. But it's it's just like, you know, <laughs> there's really no winning with these people when you're trying to get away from them and in a court system. And that's why we also try to help people figure out 
even though we're not saying amical divorce is possible, but there are some alternatives to try in terms of mediation, private negotiation, and using leverage to keep things out of court. Absolutely. If possible. Because then you're also on another person's calendar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lisa, I could talk, we, we, every time we talk, we, we gravitate towards each other. Uh, it's like we're kindred spirits or something. So I know uh, we, we always need you like part yeah. three, part four. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're, we're definitely going to have to do this again, uh, or hop on a live. I see Chris in the chat. So make sure you, you, it's been a pleasure seeing his comments and things like that as well. So, um, if, uh, so where can people find you at and where, where can people, you know, in terms of social media, in terms of if they want to find out more information about you and more information about Chris, more information about Been There, Got Out, uh, where can they find you guys at? Okay, so Instagram tends to be our home base, and that is we're just at Been There, Got Out with little underscores in between, or just write Been There, Got Out, and you'll find us. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where we do most of our, our content. We take clips and put it on TikTok, too. It's also Been There, Got Out. I think we're on, I mean, Chris is the tech half of Been There, Got Out. Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, but basically there. But the main thing is, if you want to get in touch, go to our website. It's beentheregotout.com. On the home page, there's two buttons. The red button, the top button, means if you're dealing with anything like this, you can schedule a free half-hour discovery call with the two of us, and we'll come up with ways that we might be able to help you moving forward. Or the bottom button is the blue button, and that's to join the legal abuse support group to register. And it also goes into like a little bit on what legal abuse is, and people are often like, that's me. <laughs> so that's, that's probably the best way to do it. Or you could just write to Lisa at beentheregotout.com or Chris at beentheregotout.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Lisa from Been There, Got Out. Lisa, thank you very much for joining us. For those of you who have joined uh, the Matt Pfeiffer Experience, thank you guys very much. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, make sure you hit the bell notification if you guys are watching this on YouTube. Make sure you guys follow on all social media platforms. You can follow Lisa at Been There, Got, Got Out on all the social media platforms, Matt Pfeiffer Coaching for myself. Uh, make sure you guys are listening to this on the playback on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, if you want to listen to this while you guys are working out, while you're on the treadmill, that sort of thing. And you can regurgitate this information because it, it, Lisa did an absolutely fantastic job about, uh, dropped a lot of nuggets, dropped a lot of dimes that you guys can use in your litigation in your divorce situation when you're going through a divorce with someone who is high conflict and narcissistic. So with all that being said, thank you guys very much. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Dream big, pop us all we dream big. Cause all we take with us is the things we can dream big.